The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building that's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> Corey Jacobson, welcome to Southwest Montana, more specifically Big Sky Montana. Yeah, it's good. We, uh, we've we not got to do an in-person, in-the-same-room-looking-at-each-other podcast in a long time. Man, is that because of COVID or just because we're too busy? Probably. Well, I, was, I thought you were going to say we're too lazy or we're too... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while since we've got together and had time to sit down and mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. Well, here welcome. we are. It's going to snow tonight. I know. June, whatever it is. 23rd or something 3rd. like that. Yeah. Crazy. All the, all the people come here for a total archery challenge, they should have brought their mucklucks and their mittens and <laughs> everything else. <laughs> Didn't we, weren't we talking about you and mittens last night? Yeah, Donnie was giving me grief yeah. at the big... So, Corey and me and Donnie and Marcus and a whole bunch of people got invited to a preview of Sitka's upcoming products. And that got on the topic of gloves well i brought up gloves i told them they need a good work glove because i i make firewood and i seem to go through gloves too quickly yeah and donnie brought up well randy wants mittens it's like (laughs) no i'm not giving any input here because i'm not a fashion and style guy so when you see randy in a pair of mittens you would agree with that statement (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what are those mittens called Chopper mittens. Chopper mittens. I can't believe they weren't popular where you grew up in Idaho. Yeah. No, I mean, we were, all, we were all worried about fashion, so. Really? Yeah, um, I'm sure that was it. And the vanity has no bounds in <laughs> northern Idaho, I guess. But uh, No, you were, I mean, if you were a kid where I grew up, or an adult even, you had multiple pairs of chopper mittens. Man. Yeah, See, my used... parents just said, go outside barehanded and learn to be tough. Oh, really? No, oh. but <laughs> uh, yeah. so we and didn't then... have chopper mittens. Though. I mean, no. I, I saw you wearing your chopper mittens, and I'm not going to lie. There was some envy that coursed through my veins for a minute. Envy that your fingers were cold and mine weren't? Or... Uh-huh. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, since I do mostly rifle hunting, you know how quickly I can just flick my hand and that chopper mitt flies off and my toasty warm fingers are running the trigger mechanism. And the other guy who's walking around with gloves is so cold because he's cut off all the circulation. He's exposed his skin to all this surface area. So he's had all this heat loss. The bull comes out and he can't, he's so cold. He can't even push the fire, the, the safety forward to the fire position. I've been there. Okay. Yep. And so I, you know, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. You know, I, I haven't had cold hands for a long time. About the only part of me that doesn't get cold is my liver. Really? Yeah. That's pretty far into your body. I if know. your liver gets cold, you got problems. Well, right? you told me that you put those body warmers, you mm-hmm. know, the instead of the hand warmers, you get mm-hmm. the sticky body warmers. Right. And if you put them on your liver, it keeps you warmer. Mm-hmm. So and I I've, put one on my liver, and that's the only thing that stays warm on me now is my oh. liver. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do it there. You can do it on your kidneys, too. But, uh, yeah, the folk, there's a lot of folks from warmer climates here for this big total archery yeah. challenge shoot. And I'm sure they're thinking, where the heck did we? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost July and we're getting snow. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, maybe the pass will be closed when you have to drive home. Yeah. In a couple of have to detour somewhere. Yeah. Do you come over Lolo? Uh, no, we came, uh, we came a pretty scenic way. We dropped down came through Stanley and over to Chalice and then oh. down to Arco and, yeah. I wanted to come up through Ennis, but I, we were pushed on time there, and yeah. that would have taken an extra 40 huh. minutes. So. Yeah. Well, when you're traveling with the family, the scenic route is, you know, you can just say, hey, there's a vacation, kids. I came with the, the two youngest teenagers, and they just slept the whole time. So <laughs> I had to wake them up when we saw a, a brand new antelope fawn next to the road, oh, like cool. little tiny bugger. And hmm. so I woke them up to see that. But other than that, they slept. They they do a good job of sleeping. Yeah. yeah. Well, if it's like my my wife, we will drive seven hours to go walleye fishing. And she sleeps the whole way. And yeah. we get there, and I'm just white knuckle from driving these state highways towing this big boat. And she'll look around like, oh, that's always such a nice ride to here. <laughs> Five miles of yeah. it. But... Wake so. up and see one view, and it's like, oh, it's such a pretty drive here. Yeah. It's like, you missed the real pretty part. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, it's fun to be together yeah. visiting about all this stuff again. Today, uh, the first, was today the first day of archery? Yeah. Archery Challenge? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people here, um, and they ask lots of, lots and lots of questions. Yeah. And I don't know that I have good answers for most of them. Where were you hanging out most of the day? Uh, I was at the outdoor class booth most of the day, but I was at Leupold, at Sitka, at Peaks, at RMEF. But I got cornered in the outdoor class booth because that's where I've stashed my 300 dilly bars. Ah. So if you wondered why the big line was at outdoor class. Yeah. Well, right now there's the big deal going on where they're giving away a bow if you sign up at this event and they give you a discount and you get a dilly bar. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so what's the incentive? Is it the bow, the discount or the dilly bar? I was thinking it's because they get your university of elk hunting course there. Yeah. That would be the incentive. I saw a lot of people walking around with dilly bars. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was funny how many people said, oh, I just kind of followed the trail of dilly bars to find where I could oh, get Oh, that's, well, or to find Randy. Yeah. And uh, a guy who works at Big Sky Resort 
saw a little kid and said, where'd you get the dilly bar? <laughs> and the kid says, $2 and I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that is a young man who's going to be successful. Yeah, exactly. So it's fun though, because you get a lot of questions. We get all these viewer questions or listener questions uh, via the Elk Talk podcast uh, website. But when you're in person, you can get into a lot more detail yeah. about the exact scenario and setup and everything else. And it's, uh, it's always interesting to, to have people think we have all the answers. And when you tell them, well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes feel like I see a letdown and I'm like, wait a second, you were supposed to have this answer yeah, exactly. for me. You mean there's not a cut and dry way to do this? <laughs> Well, and it's it's funny because when people send in the emails with questions, they ask a question and we answer it. Right. And they aren't there to ask a follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> when they're in person, it's like, okay, but what about this? And then how do you do this? And it just leads to, I mean, you think we go down rabbit holes. When oh, they have man. us in person cornered in a booth like that, it's, yeah, we, we have to make up a lot of stuff. The other good part is the great feedback we get of, how many people listen to this podcast and I'm like, please keep doing it and keep going down the rabbit hole. That's the funny <laughs> part. That's the fun stuff. We never know what you guys are going to talk about. So neither do we. Neither do <laughs> we. <laughs> That's right. I still tell people, I can't believe people listen to Randy and I just sit there and talk. Like yeah. if we had a syllabus or some kind of a structured curriculum or something, yeah, maybe we could fool people into knowing what we're talking about, but yeah, man. Well, us just sitting here talking, it's got to be pretty evident. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> well, one of the questions that came in via email, and I was going to ask you this question anyhow for my own personal interest, but uh, someone wants to know when your Colorado elk hunt from uh -huh. last year is coming out. Yeah, that's been uh, so because it wasn't. It didn't make the destination elk series. No, that aired this winter. No, we. Uh, you know, our destination elk. We. We put that together, but the Colorado film, I reached out to a good friend of mine, Ben Potter, mm -hmm. and Ben worked with us on The Linguist, and he was the camera guy and the editor, uh, Kana Outdoors is his company, and and we had always talked, man, we need to do this again, because that year, Ben had never been on an elk hunt before mm -hmm. in 2016, and since then, the elk hunting fire has been lit and oh, yeah. fueled and it's a wildfire for Ben now. Yeah. And uh, he's been out multiple States, multiple times and, and succeeded as an elk hunter. So it's kind of cool. So I just reached out and said, Hey, I've got this tag. It's taken 18 years to draw it. And it'd be awesome if we could team up and do something. And so he does a lot of work with Sitka on their Sitka hunts mm -hmm. and Sitka films and so we approached them and worked it out so Ben could go and film it and edit it and Sitka's going to publish it. So yeah. we, uh, we actually just finished filming a little bit of uh, B-roll stuff and some voiceover stuff last week mm -hmm. and uh, kind of have a, a, a plan. I wouldn't say it's a solid plan, but if you're in the Bozeman area or you want to be in the Bozeman area in... Uh, Mid-August, I'll be doing an event at the Sitka Depot, cool. uh, an elk hunting event on August 12th. And mm. the plan right now is uh, I think we're going to premiere the film there, and then it'll be uh, in person or uh, online to be able to watch if you can't make it in person a uh, day or two after that. So mid-August mm. is what it's looking like. And then we're, for the people who can't make it to the Sitka Depot on 
that Saturday. Where else is it going to be on? I think it'll be on uh, the Elk 101 YouTube channel. Okay. After that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, there you have it. So that again, subject to change. uh, (laughs) I literally today, this afternoon, got my first look at the uh, the draft of it, and it's we've packed a lot of elk action into a short film. So cool. Yeah. Well. That's that's a question then that we can check off the list. I don't have to ask it because now a viewer asked it. Yep. So. And we do get a handful of emails about every day on it because, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about it. I'd waited 18 years to draw it. And then in Destination Elk, I said, hey, stay tuned. We've got the Colorado hunt coming. And I think initially we'd talked like April, May time frame of releasing mm-hmm. it. But yeah. just, uh, well, uh it's, it is interesting when people hear that you've done this hunt or we've done that hunt or whatever. When am I going to see this? Yeah. I, I mean, I got that question today from quite a few people. I'm like, man, you guys pay close attention. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let me think about Oh, I forgot oh. I even did that yeah. hunt. <laughs> we do have to put out a film still, don't we? Uh, yeah. So it's fun, though, that, that people are that interested and they, they want to see you and they yep. hopefully pick up a little tidbit and learn a little something here or there. Uh, I'm impatiently waiting for your friends over at Idaho Game and Fish yeah. to do the deer, elk, and pronghorn draw. What When are they doing that? You know, I, I would have thought, because today is the 23rd, Friday, yeah. June 23rd, as we're sitting here recording this, and they usually do it on a Friday just so they don't have to answer a bunch of questions for the next two days when people are like, why didn't I draw? Or are you sure I'm unsuccessful? But uh, they've been a little slower the Mm. last few years. I'm guessing it's going to be next week, which they say they'll send them out by, I think, July 9th is the date that they say. But it's usually in June. I don't think they've ever made it into July. But my guess is it'll be next week, the last week of June. This is my year. This is your year? Yeah. Yep. In my 20, whatever, I think I've got 25 or 26 years applying in Idaho. Yeah. How many points do you have? The Elk Talk podcast has been sponsored from the beginning by our friends at Go Hunt. And you may think of them about draw odds and all the other information that we use and we talk about. But the one thing a lot of people don't know is they have the best Western hunter gear shop anywhere. So if you're interested and you're buying gear, and you want to get a discount on regular priced items out on their gear shop, go out to GoHunt.com and go to the shop. And when you do, use promo code ELKTALK when you check out, and you're going to save quite a bit of money on all those regular priced items. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery. And my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. Zero, thank goodness, because you don't have a point (laughs) system. But I've never drawn... A limited entry tag other than one time, or a controlled hunt, you guys call them. Yeah. I applied for the wrong hunt, and I drew. (laughs) 
<laughs> I could see why it was so easy to draw. Uh-oh. When I got there, it's like, boy, there's a lot of people here. Oh, and there's a youth hunt going on, and oh, there's <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, that was for a deer hunt. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've been quite a donor to your program down there in Idaho, so I'm thinking sooner or later you guys are going to, you know, cough up a little tag action my way here every year people draw tags so and people i know so i know that they actually give out tags but they are not very uh selfless with those they uh, seem to be a bit stingy well it's kind of my last hurrah you know everything else is is it oh it's too late now for people to know but today was the deadline for the wyoming leftover tags. i know and they had a lot a lot i was surprised yeah. And did you notice the unit where the four hunters from Missouri did the corner crossing? There were a lot of any elk tags still left over. Really? I thought with all the news about the yeah. corner crossing and stuff that everybody would be applying there. Because yeah. it's great elk hunting if you got a stepladder and a good attorney. <laughs> <laughs> what was the guy wanting seven million or something, something he said like he that. lost out on that much revenue from yeah. them stepping over the the corner there yeah and uh that this is a tangent to that but uh the guy the landowner if he's gonna appeal this because he he lost his summary judgment uh about three weeks ago i think he has until next friday the 30th to file an appeal with the 10th circuit and uh decide what he's going to do there so but so with that summary judgment saying that they didn't violate anything yeah does that open the door that anybody can take stepladder now and does it make it legal that's a good question a lot of attorneys are still arguing that yeah um you know i i did a podcast on it on the hunt talk radio podcast had nick and tom two attorneys and they're like you know it applies to those facts and circumstances uh but it's that's the term they use it's persuasive but not precedential Mm -hmm. that if it gets to the next level it is precedent yeah at least for the 10th circuit which includes wyoming colorado utah oklahoma i think maybe kansas and nebraska i'm I know this, the Wyoming, Colorado, and Utah are the mountain states that are part of it. So, so if Tenth uh, Circuit gets a summary judgment or a ruling mm-hmm. in favor of mm-hmm. those defendants, right? Then it would be precedent. You could go and know that you would win a, a future battle yeah. based on that decision in the tenth in the in geography that. of the Tenth Circuit. Yeah. Now, Montana, we're in the Ninth Circuit. Idaho, you're in the Ninth Circuit. Yeah. Who knows what those, you know, you'd get your federal judge within the di- federal district, but then if you wanted to appeal, you go to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco, and the Ninth Court is Ninth Circuit is known as kind of the strange ducks, of the, <laughs> <laughs> the judicial circuit uh, or circuits. Uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting yeah. to see. Um, I bet there's a lot of people buying stepladders right now, though. <laughs> Well, maybe there's a business opportunity there, you there go. Corey. Hunting stepladder, lightweight carbon fiber stepladders. There you go. The perfect height to get over a five-strand barbed wire fence. Yeah, I was, the the flip side of it, a guy named Dave Pecola sent me an email. He's like, sounds to me like Hunter should just buy liability insurance or umbrella insurance <laughs> for a cheap dollar amount. Yep. And then if you get sued, just say, uh, you know, the, the attorneys for the 
the insurance company yep. are the ones Let them who, fight it. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that's how that works. I never thought, I have an umbrella policy. I never I thought about it. Let's try it. <laughs> you can be the guinea pig. I'll hold the ladder. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you yeah. climb over. <laughs> uh, one of the people had a question. Uh, wanted to know if we've ever done a drop camp. I never have. Have you? I don't think I have. No. Yeah. I've looked into them a bunch. but Yeah. And they're wondering about the pros or cons. Yeah. Or, and I... I really don't know. I guess my first, the, the pro I would see is, okay, all the gears there, you just like, <laughs> you're out there and they usually have a wall tent and it's like, okay, he's probably not going to set it up in some area with no L because he wants repeat customers. But the flip side of that is if he's running tons of people through there, it could get shot, quote unquote, shot out. Yeah. So not I, only that, and my, my hesitation and, kind of the drawback that's ever kept me from doing it is if you have an outfitter that's doing drop camp hunts, mm -hmm. they're probably also doing guided hunts. I mean, it, right. there aren't yeah. very many outfitters that would just do drop camp hunts only. Right. And with that being the case, if you are going out with somebody and taking them hunting as an outfitter on right. a guided hunt, you're probably going to go to the better areas, <laughs> which means that if an outfitter's doing drop camp hunts, he's yeah. probably not taking those clients into the prime areas. Probably true. But, and that's not a dissuasion for anybody not to do it. The idea of no. somebody packing. I mean, I would love to team up with an outfitter and say, hey, if we're nine miles back in and you're, you've got a camp in this area, could we get a hold of you and have you come pack our elk out on your horses if you're coming back into here anyway? Mm -hmm. That would be appealing for sure. That, that would that would be appealing, I think, to everybody. Yeah. And, uh, so I'd probably I'd probably lean more towards that than doing an actual drop yeah. camp. Another person said, "Hey, where I come in every morning, the elk are down below me. What do I? How do I? Oh, when he's hunting, I, I was thinking yeah. when he comes like comes into the office every morning. The elk are down below. I'm like, well, yeah. okay, you got." Yeah, you your scouting well, done. Yeah, he parks. <laughs> sounds like he parks at a trailhead, walks out somewhere, and the elk are always down. I don't know if it's in a canyon yeah. or in a, in a drainage or whatever. He's like, how do you hunt them in the morning? Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things we talk about is we start in the bottom, but we're hiking up. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you get up on a ridge and you bugle off the backside and elk answers down below you first thing in the morning. And it's always just a matter of playing the wind. I mean, if an elk answers 200 yards right below you on the same hillside, you probably don't have a chance, yeah. but hopefully he answers down below you on the other side of the draw on a finger ridge. And you've got a little bit of a barrier there with that draw that's pulling your wind down and away from him. So, I mean, you have to plan the, the approach and the attack based on the wind. And hopefully again, if he's directly below you and he answers right then the first time it's probably over, not much you can do, but if you're up on a ridge top and you're hiking that ridge and you're bugling down into the Canyon, Typically, you've got finger ridges you can use uh, as that wind's going down. That finger ridge is going to be kind of a buffer and a divider. If you can get on one side of it and the elk's on the other, you can you can keep the wind from going to the elk. Yeah. Well, you, hunting with you, I mean, people ask me, well, Randy, you do mostly rifle hunting. You do some archery hunting. What have you learned most archery hunting with Corey? What I have learned is that there is no mountain too tall, no distance too far that Corey won't travel to make sure the wind's perfect. That's, uh, you know, if I'm going to hike 3,000 vertical feet and spend half the day getting there, hoping that there's an elk there, 
when I get there and get the elk bugling, I don't want to blow him out first thing. Like I, <laughs> I want to give myself at least a little bit of a chance. And if you aren't paying attention to the wind and using it in everything you do and every plan you make, yeah. you're just setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'll admit that before I started following you around a little bit in archery seasons, I tried to cheat the wind. I thought, oh, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's only like four seconds I'll be across this one funnel where the wind seems to, well, guess what? Yeah. Four seconds is four seconds too you, many. You pee in the pool and there's pee in the whole pool. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a visual that I'm sure the audience is like, okay, I didn't, you know, like, yeah, so, I you know the scent spreads just like, <laughs> just like pee in a pool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so another guy writes us and says hey, i'm gonna rephrase his question uh he says you know i don't get a lot of encounters so i always struggle and worry about this but when's the right time to draw because mm. i'm afraid i could draw too early draw too late we should have donnie on here to answer that donnie when yeah. we first started hunting together yeah the second that he thought the elk was coming close he would draw back Oh, really? And I would see him drawing. I'm like, Donnie, he's still 200 yards away. <laughs> Donnie would hold his bow for like a minute and a half before we'd even see the elk. Uh, and then he couldn't let down without yeah. the elk seeing him. And I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You wait until you see the elk inside 100 yards yeah. and then draw. And he's like, well, it's going to see me. And so, I mean, it's, it's a tough one because if you wait too long, the elk's there. Mm -hmm. They seem to have that sixth sense so when they walk out. They get into that shooting lane, and if you haven't drawn, they just seem to know something's up, and they start looking. Yeah. And so that's too late. You don't want to wait till then. You don't want to wait until the elk is in your shooting lane. And a lot of my setups are picked based on, here's where I think the elk's going to come, and I'm going to get a shot, mm -hmm. but I need to make sure I've got areas where I can draw. So he's going to have to come behind that big tree, or he's going to have to go behind that brush pile, and that's going to give me a chance to draw. So... I don't know that there's a too early or too late. There definitely is a too early and too late. I don't know if there's a, a black and white answer. Yeah. I just make sure that as that elk's coming in, I know where I'm going to have shots at him. And I also know where I'm going to have opportunities to make a little bit of movement. And that's usually if he goes out of sight. Because if I can see his head, he can see every move I make. Right. So I can't draw my bow when I can see his head. Yeah. So I have to have an obstruction that's going to obstruct his head from my vision. And when that happens, I have to draw and it has to be smooth and it has to be quick and right. not any noise or movement. But I can't draw when he's at 120 yards <laughs> because elk will stop and rake a tree for four minutes. Right. And, you know, you just, I like to draw and hold for less than 10 seconds. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's when he gets close to that shooting lane when I want to draw. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's that is so situation specific yeah, and terrain specific yeah. and huh yeah. well i i hope i gotta think that through when one comes walking through my that's, shooting lane this hunting season that's the best feeling ever <laughs> do i draw now do i draw now because you know it's close it's it's just about to happen when you're thinking about when you need to draw <laughs> no i thought that was a good question it because is. i i think it, it's where you get like so close and you're right there and here he is and do you freeze up because you're doubting oh it's too early or it's too late or do you do it too early or too late and so and usually like, when you think i'm not going to draw because it's too early by then it's too late <laughs> <laughs> so 
Well, do you have like a mental checklist? And, and this is the reason these are so focused at you, Corey, is because they're mostly archery specific, right? I mean, when I'm rifle hunting, it's not like I got to worry about a lot of this stuff. There's know? just a lot on the checklist when you're archery hunting. So that checklist, when you say, okay, he's coming, I can tell he's getting closer, I'm going to go set up over here or have my shooter go set up over here, I'm going to call. Do you have like a mental checklist of things that are really rapidly going through your head when you're assessing? And it's like, I mean, there's probably never the perfect place. So it's like, what's the best of the imperfect setups? Yeah. 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 And I mean, the setup is critical and that's what there was a couple of guys came up to me today from Idaho and they were talking and they said, we've had opportunities, we've missed a shot, but we've never killed an elk. What's the number one piece of advice? And that's always the hardest thing. Somebody says, what's the number one piece of advice for a new hunter? What's the number mm-hmm. one piece of advice for someone who's hunted but never killed an elk? Because it's tough. I mean, it's, right. it is situational. I could tell you, you know, you've got to obey the wind, but you go out there and you haven't shot your bow all year and you miss a 20-yard chip shot. Well, <laughs> shooting your bow would have been the most important advice I could give you. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I told them, you know, choosing your setups wisely. The reason you're getting so many encounters but not getting shot opportunities is the setup. That mm-hmm. elk's coming to 100 or 120 yards and you aren't getting him inside 40 yards. It's that last 80 yards. It's always the, the hard part. So the setup a two person with a collar and shooter, the collar back behind has got to see where the shooter is and where the shooter's lanes are. And then he's got to get hidden from that. So the elk has to come into that lane before he can see where the collar's calling from. Mm-hmm. Cause if he gets 80 yards out and he can see the tree that the collar's hiding behind and calling from, he's not coming any closer unless he sees an elk. Right. So you want to hide down over a little rise or behind some brush where that elk has to come into the shooting lane before he can get a visual. So, I mean, that setup, that's part of the setup. The other part is the elk has to be comfortable. When he's coming in, he has to be comfortable. He's not going to probably bury his head down on the ground to climb through a big mass of alders because he can't hear, he can't see, and all of a sudden he's going to step out and put himself in danger so he's not going to come through that. He's yeah. not going to walk across a wide open meadow for a hundred yards in the middle of the day because he's exposed. <laughs> so, I mean, just all these little things when I'm looking, I'm like, if I was an elk and I've seen enough of them come into setups, I'm saying there's a perfect little bench right there. I bet he walks right off that hillside on that game trail, comes right to that bench, and he's going to stop right there and look over the hill to see if he can see the caller as the shooter. I need to get right here so I'm able to shoot on that trail as he's coming down. So I do analyze probably more than anything else that setup of where is the elk most likely to come in? Where am I most likely to get a shot at him? And then I say, caller needs to be over here. Shooter needs to be here. Here's where we're trying to bring the elk into. So, I mean, there is a strategy I'm trying as yeah. the caller to direct that elk into a very specific place. Right. And I have to know the elk has to be comfortable coming into it if I want to have any chance. Yeah. Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at OutdoorClass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to OutdoorClass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barklow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. Outdoorclass.com will get you 
the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. As the shooter, is, are there, It's and this is just my experience, is once you set up and that bull is now at 60 yards, you're screwed. You, For you, the you can't be moving. Yeah. But are, are there situations where... Not when it's that close. Yeah. Okay. No. And that's the hard part is once I set up as a shooter, I don't move unless I feel the elk is moving away. Yeah. Like, or if he, you know, there there may be a time where he comes into 60 yards and he turns quartering away from me and starts raking a tree. Mm. I might say, I can get another 10 yards closer and get up to that next tree. He's making noise. And so I might take one step and look. Okay. He's not looking. I'll take another step. And if I can get a tree in between me and him, I'll, I'll be even more bold in yeah. closing the distance but that's really the only time as a shooter i'm moving is if he hangs up and starts raking or something where i feel i can make some movement and get away with it yeah if he's just standing there scanning i can't even draw my bow i can't right. do anything which is what makes it so different than my rifle hunting that i mostly do is okay he's 200 yards over there raking a tree not willing to come any further Bad day for you, pal. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't have stopped and raked that tree. That's exactly what I wanted you to yeah. do. Yeah. Right. So a lot of today I got the question, would you rather archery hunt or would you rather rifle hunt? And I, my answer was yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I want to put meat in the freezer, which I love to do, I'm going to rifle hunt. But if I want to have fun, I mean like the excitement level to a degree that is, I can't, I don't know. Maybe I can replicate it in rifle season, but it's tough. I I just I get excited. I have fun. It's a blast hunt, rifle hunting them. But beyond question, for someone as inept as me, archery is way more difficult, way more challenging, which makes it way more fun in yeah. a lot of ways. And I think that's what so many elk hunters gravitate towards, I, archery I, hunting. I really think it's like the difference between checkers and chess. Yeah. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's, it's fun to beat somebody. It's fun to play the game, but chess takes a lot more strategy, a lot yeah. more thinking. And because yeah. of that, it, uh, when it comes together, I think, I, I wouldn't say it's more rewarding, but it's mm. a different kind of rewarding. Right. It's, well, in... For every elk you encounter with a rifle, you're going to have fewer of them that get out of your grasp yeah. than with a bow. And if you don't, you probably need to spend more time at the rifle shooting <laughs> range because, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, when I do seminars or even in my course on outdoor class, I said, you know, I think a bull elk in a, a rifle hunt is one of the easier animals to kill. They're hard to find and locate. Yeah. But once you find and locate it, it's not that hard to get your tag on them. Yep. Once you've found them, you've you're you're ninety five percent of the way there. Whereas in archery, no, you're, <laughs> you're <laughs> you like, found them. That's the easy part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know how do you find them? I just bugle and they answer. They're yeah. right there. I know right where they are. <laughs> and the chances of killing one uh, that's pretty low. Yeah. Well, I it's. For me, as much as most of my hunting is with a rifle, they're just I cannot replicate the excitement and the the shakes and jitters I get when 
I can hear the limbs snapping and the leaves crunching as this bull is getting closer. And then he bugles. It's like, oh my gosh. You can feel it. Yeah. And even rifle hunting, you know, you when a bull bugles it 300 yards away and then he steps out in the opening and you shoot him. It's exciting. Yeah. But man, that, that in your face, 20, 30 yards away, the bull bugles, you're right there in his bubble and it's just a, a next level. And like I say, you know, it's not like it's a, I don't ever want to say that archery is more rewarding than rifle or that it's harder or anything. Cause that compares the two and it makes somebody that rifle right. hunts feel like, you know, well, archery hunting, they think they're elite, but it's mm. just a different right. kind of rewarding. Like yeah. it's when you said, if I, if I needed to put meat in the freezer, I'm going rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. My thought was exactly opposite. Really? If I want to put meat in the freezer, I'm going bow hunting. Huh. And it's because I'm more confident in locating the elk, huh. bow hunting during the rut. I struggle to locate bull elk in the post rut. Like yeah. that's my, my week. I know they're there, but I just struggle. I think it's a patience thing. Yeah. I just want to move until I see one instead of being smart and saying, he's here. I'm going to sit and wait until he pops out. And, yeah. Huh. But yeah, if I wanted to put meat in the freezer, I'd be like, you put me out in the, out in the mountains on September 15th with a bow and I will find an elk <laughs> and I'll find a way to kill him. You put me out there November, you know, first and it's like, ah, yeah. I'll go find a track, I guess, and follow it and hope I run into it. And <laughs> oh, That's interesting that you say that because I... I think if you give me a tag in November, I'm going to find a bull. Yeah. It's just, and that's what I do most of. So I guess, yeah. Well, I think that just, that, that settles it. You need to come and elk hunt with me in, in November well, and show me how to find bull it, elk. Uh, where are you going to hunt elk in November? I don't know. Oh, okay. Every time I get a tag in November, you're like, oh, I'm busy. I've got a late tag in Arizona. I've got, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, but if I, if I, the tag I applied for in Idaho this year is a November rifle hunt. So if I draw, you should just come along. That's, I need okay. to find out. How to, but I mean, we're talking now a controlled hunt. Yeah. They're probably going to be like, you know, elk behind every tree, so okay. easy to find. Okay. Well, <laughs> come to Montana and hunt I have, in November. I have, yeah. Okay. I've, I've experienced Randy's November Montana hunting before. <laughs> yeah, Corey, go up this canyon here. And, and by the way, I should draw a mountain goat tag next year. So while you're traipsing through the four feet of snow, if you see any big billies, let yeah, me let know. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. Didn't find any elk, but we did see some really nice mountain goats. Uh, hey, you know, I'm... I might look dumb, but maybe I'm not quite that dumb. Uh, but before we turned on the mics, uh, we're talking about e-scouting. And uh, I, I, and then we turned on the mics right after I said, you know, for me, e-scouting is really critical for me as someone who rifle hunts. And maybe it should be in my archery hunts, but I, I'll admit, I don't do as much of it for my archery hunts as I do my rifle hunts. Yeah. Is that? Well, yeah, and I think, you know, for it, it goes right back to what we just talked about. Finding elk is easier in September than it is in November mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I, I think it is, too, for me. Just because they're bugle. vocal, they're moving. They're, it's... I walk out on a ridge, I bugle. If one answers, there's one there. Yeah. If one doesn't answer, in my mind, there's not one there, and I need to go somewhere <laughs> else. So, you know, I, I find them with a bugle tube. So 
um, you know, you've got e-scouting, you've got boots on the ground scouting, and then you've got scouting during the season. Yeah. And I think all three of them help you find elk. Mm-hmm. For me, for archery season, if I had to pick just one, it would be give me a bugle tube during the hunt and let me just go find the elk then. Yeah. Because if you find them middle of July, boots on the ground, you find a big herd of elk, they might not be there in six weeks or eight right. weeks. You know, there's a good chance they won't be. Yep. E-scouting, you aren't going to find elk. You're yeah. going to find areas. So I think for me, I use e-scouting more to find backup areas. It's right. like, this is the area I want to hunt. If there's no elk there, here's an area that looks good because it has, you know, feed, it has water, it has north-facing slopes to bed on. So I'm just looking for those elements, and I've got eight different spots that I've e-scouted one for every day. So if I get in there and there's no elk, I know where I'm going because if you don't know where you're going, you won't end up anywhere. Yeah. And you'll keep doing the same thing going, well, I don't know where to go. So we'll just hunt here again tomorrow and <laughs> it's not going to work out. So I use e-scouting for backup areas. If I go physically scouting, I'm not necessarily looking for elk. I'm looking for signs of previous ruts. So I'm looking for rubs, looking for wallows. I'm looking for sign that the elk are there in September and if they happen to be there right then too, that's a that's an added bonus. Yeah, yeah. I'd say my e scouting is about developing as many possibilities as I can find, trying to prioritize them and rank them. Day one, I want two or three spots. If I don't see anything, okay, I'm going to move off, and another spot. Day two will be a morning spot, maybe an afternoon and an evening spot. Uh, the other thing I use e-scouting for is my anticipation of hunting pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this last week, Go Hunt came out with historical imagery, and a lot of people emailed me or like, "So, how do you use historical imagery?" Yeah. And and we're launching a video on one way I use it is in the example that. Uh, you'll see screenshots of this is there's some historical imagery from 2020 or 2019 in a really arid state like Arizona or New Mexico. Well, it was really bad drought year in 2019, especially in 2020. Well, now they're like 18 months past that drought year. So I don't want to be looking at drought year static imagery on a year like this where yeah. there it's not a drought year. Right. So, you're like this, there's water spread, all kind, every little water hole, even the little ones have water in them. Yep. So I go and I look at this area. I'm like, well, it's not quite as wet as 2023 is, but 2015 was a pretty wet year. So I go and grab historical imagery from 2015 and I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot more water out there than it shows in this. So if I didn't have access to, uh, historical imagery and i just stuck with whatever static image yep that gave me it still is some helpful to have you know aerial satellite imagery but if everyone is stuck with this drought year imagery that they're all going to be on those four water holes that show up yep but because i've been able to now do a comparison i know of 14 water holes that are closer to the area you've identified as their bedding area right. that's most likely going to be the easiest place for the elk to go in water and it's more secluded right. and that makes a lot more sense if there's water there if there's not water there then yeah the four other areas yeah. might be the ones that everybody's concentrated on but yeah, yeah. And, and the flip side of that could be if 
you were going and hunting there in the bad drought year of 2020, but your historical imagery was all stuck in 2015. <laughs> you're like, oh, there's water everywhere here. Yeah. You and all the other guys show up and most of your water sources are yeah, gone. your six backup plans for water are all empty. Now what do you do? Yeah. And so uh, that's why historical imagery without giving it context isn't of much value. But if you use the drought monitor and rain maps and all these other snow tail sites, uh, historical imagery gets to be a pretty <laughs> useful tool, at least for me. Yep. Uh, so anyhow, shameless plug if you if you want to go check it out the e-scouting tools at, at go hunt and their maps have that now and i'll talk is a promo code that'll put fifty dollars a credit in your gear shop is that yeah that, that's what they get fifty dollars of free money mad money, if mad you go money. To insider <laughs> and sign up so when you sign up for insider at go hunt you get all those e-scouting tools maps draws the whole thing anyhow uh that that's one example that uh, a guy was asking me today actually he's like hey i i saw this and i know you use it i, I don't get why it's a big deal <laughs> so i just walked through that example he's like "Ooh, i never thought about that i said other times i'll look at places that you know they were logged in 2010 well they might have grown up a yeah. pretty good chunk by 2022 if my imagery is stuck at 2016 i'd be like oh yeah that's still huntable well then i show up there and it's lodgepole or it's reproduction or alder that's over my head it's like yep. mm, <laughs> this wasn't a good or idea. or if you're looking only at fire maps and you mm. see oh this burned in 2006 it's probably all grown back up now and i wonder what it looks like and you don't have historical imagery and you show up there and it still looks like the moon because it's never grown right. back. Yeah. You know, it's just that historical imagery helps you see how have the fires reacted? How, how's the area recovered after a fire? What's the area look like on a dry year versus a wet year? You know, yeah. it's, it just gives you a clearer picture that's easier to compare to what you're going to see when you go in there today versus just guessing that, well, at one point in time, it looked like this. Yeah. Well, I... I just get to thinking about how many tools we have at our disposal <laughs> and each of them by themselves may not solve all your answers, but you start adding some of these together and it's like, man, this is so much easier than it was 20 years ago. This is and, like a, a investigator level. You know, we're, we've got our, our basements with yarn going from picture to picture and little pins on it. And we're trying to connect all these dots with all these different tools. And yeah, we're like forensic yeah. investigators here. Yeah. All that. My wife comes in and looks at it and she shakes her head and she's like, you know, the, there's elk down in the field right now. Right. I'm like, yeah, but they won't be there in three weeks. Like, how do you know? And yeah, you know, I was just, we're, <laughs> we take it to the next level, but look at all the tools we have that, Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, we didn't have any of these. Right. We didn't even have, you know, anything but a compass. Yeah. A compass and a box of matches. And yeah. now we're sitting there, you know, we can't even, we've got three digital devices now to get us through the woods and right. help us monitor what the elk are doing and checking trail cameras. And yeah. and we still aren't any better as hunters than we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, it makes it more fun. It does. And, you know, a lot of people are, uh, have asked me, 
Okay, Randy, you've been hunting forever, many decades. What have been the biggest game changers? And I think a lot of them expect me to say something like, oh, you know, the equipment technology yeah. like rifles and bows. And that has changed a lot. But for me, when Google Earth came out, my hunting world, the, the expansion of where my mind would now go just... I can't even quantify because before it was always getting Forest Service maps or yep. BLM maps, and that's all I had. And now I could sit at a laptop. And see it in 3D. Yeah. I could fly over these. I'm like, whew. And then all of our thoughts are like, man, too bad you didn't know who owned all that land <laughs> down there. And then along comes... Surface ownership maps yeah. layered on top of that. And at the time, it's like, well, I got to get all this on a little micro SD and haul it out on my GPS, blah, 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 blah. And now all of that stuff has come to the GPS on our cell phones. In the palm of your hands. Yeah. And we get frustrated because we have to wait a second and a half for it to load. <laughs> yeah. It's so slow. Come on. So I would say... Of all the things in my hunting life that have revolutionized my hunting, but also other people's hunting, it's that. Because what used to be honey, quote unquote, if you want to call them honey holes, yeah. are no longer honey holes to someone who's well versed in how to use this technology. Yep. There are no rocks unturned. There are no corners of the unit that someone hasn't been investigating totally and i i mean some people bemoan uh technology i'm really glad we have those things yeah i, I well one i get to waste lots of time he's scouting <laughs> uh today marcus was here and someone asked us how much time we spend e-scouting versus <laughs> scouting or versus hunting and i said i probably spend as much time e-scouting or whatever you want to call it, you know, researching yeah. plus trying to put the research of the forage and the time of year and the hunting pressure and the locations. I told them I spend as many days doing that as I do actually hunting that tag. Yep. And they just kind of looked at me like, what? I'm and like, if, you, if you spend more time, you might even fill your tag on day two. So you spend <laughs> less time hunting and yeah, there's an equation there, I'm sure. Yeah. I, and I'm sure some people are like, well, Newberg, the rest of us have a life. Okay. <laughs> Come on. And okay. okay. I, I get that. Yeah. But uh, it keeps me out of trouble. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have many vices anymore, Corey, <laughs> other than I just probably hunt too much. I, uh, and I, and I think our wives probably think we don't hunt enough. They're like, he's home again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't you have somewhere to go? Isn't there a hunt open right now? Yeah. Well, that, that's my life. I, Kim looked at the calendar for the upcoming 10 days because last week was my first week. I wasn't on the road last uh, weekend. First week, I wasn't on the road doing something, volunteering or otherwise, for multiple weeks. So we went fishing. And we come home, and she looks at the calendar. She says, I looked at your calendar. All you're doing is volunteering and then being at this thing and being at that thing. I'm going to Oregon for two weeks. So today, she loaded up the car, drove off to Oregon to see your mom. Man. So 
She's like, well, if you she's won't get waiting, out of my she's hair, not I'll waiting get out for hunting hair. season. <laughs> <laughs> Used to be my wife could wait till hunting season. Now she needs to make up vacations yeah. to get away from me. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, um, they put up with us. That's so. right. Yeah, we're yeah. we're lucky. So, what other kind of questions have you got while you've been here? Ah, uh, hmm. What's our plans for this fall? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's the one I was get draw any tags. Yeah. I'm like. Yeah, I draw a couple, but not not a lot. I, you know, for me this year, I've got three sweepstakes on some trying to get Ooh, off the off the books. You'll be uh, busy. Yeah, and I don't. And know, I saw you're doing another giveaway. Yeah, this, I don't know for, if this podcast will get published through the end of June, June thirtieth of twenty twenty three. If you sign up using, well, I hate to cheat you on this, but you, no get, you gotta use promo code Randy, not promo code Alcor. Yeah. But doesn't cheat me. at outdoor class or at uh, go hunt for insider. If you use promo code Randy, you get in the draw to go on to a, go on an prong pronghorn hunt with you with me. Wow, I, I I'm not hunting, but they they're the the winner gets to hunt, and so we're gonna do that. Uh, and then we have the sweepstakes winner. I'm going to Kentucky with him. Yep. Uh, in late in early October. And then we have the sweepstakes winner who two years ago won, but he hasn't been able to draw a tag. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he uh, he's he's from your state, Idaho. And was uh, that an elk hunt? Yeah, yeah. The Kentucky one and the the Idaho guy; those are both elk hunts. So I'm trying to get all of those and i want to do them because i have a ton of fun with these people uh i get to meet new people and get to do fun stuff and so i don't need that many tags this year yeah uh, it, i'm just gonna be helping other people and well i hope you draw your idaho tag in november so i can yeah i can be a third wheel and yeah come uh, learn how to find we're, out we're bringing llamas if i draw Ooh, i know how to feed llamas yeah. yeah, you feed the llamas. We'll we'll bring like a Cadillac camp. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> I was at the Peaks booth today talking to them about tents and everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're uh, I'm getting to an age where a Cadillac camp is sounding yeah better and better. Mm -hmm. we we're talking about stoves and tents and yeah. yeah, those are nice things. And when you have llamas, you don't that, have to carry it. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if you're interested, I, uh, Bo texted me a couple of weeks ago. He said that his llama rentals are actually doing really robust for this fall. So I don't know if that was a, a warning of Randy. I don't know if I'm going to have any llamas for you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you won't, but I, I usually, I think I got a standing order to reserve four of them. I better check with yeah. him and say, Bo, I'm still. Before it gets too late. Yeah, I might be left out in the cold. I'll be using donkeys or alpacas <laughs> or something <laughs> or camera guys i'll tell you what after uh, after using llamas a couple times i don't think there's anything better yeah i, I mean i i just they are the ticket if you're going to use a pack animal or if you're mm. going back in and just want to carry a comfortable camp and don't want to have to haul elk out on your back yeah which i'll be 48 in a couple weeks which mm -hmm. i know i'm not i'm not caught up to you yet yeah but i'm I'm thinking more ahead than I usually do. <laughs> it's not that I won't go into those holes after the elk, but I'm thinking before I go in there, is there a better way to get that elk out? Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, if, if I draw, 
that's the plan. But, yeah. you know, I've been talking about drawing in Idaho since, yeah. you know, Noah built the ark, I think, about <laughs> when I first applied and uh, haven't, haven't had that since long. Since there were so. only two elk in Idaho. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where Noah dumped him off? I guess so. I mean, it seems logical. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if if he didn't, I'm going to have to ask him one day why he didn't. I wish he would have. Yeah. Well, you could hunt wolves while we're there. I am all about hunting wolves. Somebody asked me today. You're uh, you're you're figuring these wolves out, and I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm figuring them out because they are a smart animal, mm-hmm. but I have figured out a few things that at least give me more opportunities. And they're like, do you enjoy it? And I think I en- I wouldn't say I enjoy it as much as elk hunting, mm-hmm. but there are aspects of it that are every bit as exciting. Yeah. And the chess, you want to talk about chess versus checkers. Yeah. Hunting wolves, I think, is chess to, yeah. it makes elk hunting feel like checkers. Yeah, it does. And But, you know, if we went there, it'd be like equal opportunity, yeah. you know, prey or predator. Well, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> uh, no, I, it would, it would be fun if I drew, but I'm, right now I'm doing a lot of e-scouting for my Arizona. You know, I, I once I drew the Arizona, uh, rifle late rifle tag with my son matthew i withdrew my wyoming elk applications i didn't apply for deer pronghorn wyoming it's like i must be slowing down and getting old or something or i just maybe i can't eat as much meat as i used to i I don't know i but uh i'm i've really been putting a lot of emphasis on that and i'll be honest with you i'm pretty excited about that hunt because of the moisture that's there Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a known as a pretty good unit, uh, but I love hunting late season elk. And is that a December, November? It, it starts December first. Yeah, this year they moved they moved it even a week later, which yeah. is going to concentrate the bulls even tighter into their their late season patterns. Uh, and some Arizona guys are like, where where are you at? And I'm like, oh, no, you know, I didn't, I don't want to. <laughs> Because we get so much heat about units anyhow, but uh, there's a lot of canyons there. And everyone is like, well, I know you like to hunt canyons and stuff. Hopefully it's a place with a lot of canyons. It's like, you can almost bet if I applied there, there's (laughs) There's a a canyon there. But I'm not bringing llamas down there. Yeah, It's going to be me and Matthew and two camera guys, we're going to be the llamas. Well, all uh, three of them are younger than you, so. <laughs> yeah. You can always play that card. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they'll listen. <laughs> you can play I, the card, but. Yeah. The one thing, the one thing is, though, they got to let me do the gutton and gillen. And every guest we have, like, on the sweepstakes winners, I'm like, hey, I don't, I, I'm not, quote, unquote, getting anything out of this hunt, but. If you really felt like you want to show some, like, if you want to call it appreciation or whatever. <laughs> Throw me a bone here. Yeah. Let me do the gutting and gilling. And they look at me like, what? You want to do that? Yes. Yeah. And so, but that's, hopefully I get to do a lot of gutting and gilling this fall. I, I don't know. I just, I love that too. Mm-hmm. I hate packing. Yeah. I mean, I it's a, 
I don't say I hate it, but it's my least favorite part. <laughs> but I love pulling quarters off an elk mm-hmm. and hanging them in a tree and deboning and, yeah. you know, pulling the skin off of it. I don't know. There's, it's definitely not easy. No. It's not like I like to do it because it's the easy part of it. But yeah. For me, I think it's just this mental thing where this carcass or this elk goes from being this breathing living thing that's so fascinating and so amazing to okay now it's a carcass and now it's food yeah so it's this process within about two hours it goes from that to that yep and something i i did i could see myself someday standing along the interstate with the sign you know well gut and gill your elk just let me tag along (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I can't do anything else, I yeah. can't see well enough to shoot. I'm just, just going to say, somebody carry me into the elk and let me cut it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have knives. We'll travel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I don't know. You end up with too many more scars like that one on your right arm there. Yeah, People no, might take knives away from you. Uh, well, I tried to fillet some walleyes this weekend, Corey. And, you know, the way you got to turn your wrist. Because that one tendon, they couldn't attach it. And I can't turn my wrist to articulate it that direction. And when I try to, there's no strength there. <laughs> you should see these fillets. They're, they're the most pitiful looking walleye fillets. I, if my friends who I grew up walleye fishing with saw those fillets, they'd be like, Randy, quit. You're, you're done. Retire. You're, you're, <laughs> no more fishing. Yeah. That's how you know when it's time to hang up the fishing pole is yeah. when your fillets start looking bad. That it is. And I, I got back from Alaska in May and I shot a really nice black bear there. And I told Jace and Jim, I'm like, you guys are probably going to have to do the gutting and gillin because the doctor told me, don't be doing that with sharp knives with all the weakness in your right hand or don't use your left hand because you won't have much control over it. Well, I just couldn't resist myself. I'm like, Jace, hold this leg. And I just started and I, I got through it. It wasn't my best work, yeah. but it's... Uh, you got through. You got through it without another scar. So yeah, um, the a question we got and a question. Some guys I had coffee with them here in Bozeman last week. Uh, they drew an archery tag in Montana that is could be in the uh, hotter part of September. Um, they asked, "Well, there's four of us going in here, and we're going way the heck in here." We don't how, we, how are we going to get four elk uh, out? That, that, that was kind of it. Is how do we take care care of the first elk we shoot while we try to kill three more, or the first two after we try to kill two more? And uh, a part of me is like, well, we're going to get in the first one killed yeah. and worry about it. Uh, but it really got into a lot of things about, and we've covered this before, ways to keep elk meat from spoiling in yeah. uh, in the real heat of it. Uh, fortunately, they're, they're, they've listened. They said, oh, we've listened to Corey about when the great moon phase is. That's when we're going this year. <laughs> and they kind of looked at each other like, we know Randy isn't that big into moon phase, but we're going when Corey says to go anyhow. <laughs> uh, fortunately, this year, the moon phase lands during a prime week anyway. Yeah. So right. it's everything's lining up. Yeah. Uh, but they said, we've listened to your podcast and we just have all these questions about how are we going to keep the meat from spoiling? And I told them, you know, the things we always talk about here. And I said, the reality might come down. If you get one of those hot stretches where it's getting in the high eighties, 
you're probably not going to be able to let that thing hang more than a day. Yeah. And you're just going to have to get it out, pull the, sh the cord and say, one of us has got to eject out of here or yeah. two of us have to eject or out of here. all four of you can get it in one trip and then everybody's back hunting that yeah. afternoon or, you know, depending on how far it is out. But yeah. Yeah. And that's for us, if we're hunting, we'll do that. Be like, Hey, one per whoever shot us going to have to start shuttling it out. And if we get yeah. another one, then the two of us can do it. But yeah. yeah, there's just sometimes where, you know, we talk about the importance of getting it cooled immediately, getting the hide off that initial cooling is so important. Mm -hmm. And then that first night is when you can tell, did it cool down enough at night right. that it puts the, you know, the little glaze over the meat that you can tell, it's going to be okay. It's yeah. cool to the touch. Like you put your cheek up against it and it's like, oh, that's, that's cool. I could, you know, I could put my head there and take a nap type of cool. Yeah. And if it's not, you got to get it out. Yeah. And that becomes so much of an issue in archery hunting. Yeah. Just because you can get those days. I mean, you can even into October, but in September, it's, it's just an issue. You can't, yep. <laughs> it's not the issue you want to try to solve once you're out there, you got a dead elk and it's yeah. 88 degrees. You want to have a plan you for that. You want to know what you and, need to do. And the tools and the knowledge way before yep. you ever get out there. And, and I had so. a butcher once. I, I uh, We shot an elk and it was super hot and it was a big elk. And we packed out the hind quarter, left the bone in it mm -hmm. and got in, drove it all the way in there. But it was, you know, I shot it that morning found it after a couple hours, took us the rest of the day to get it out. It was like 10 o'clock at night before we made it out. And one of the hind quarters had a little bit of bone sour huh. in there. And he told me, the butcher told me, hey, if this ever happens again, open that quarter up. Like you don't have to debone it. Just take a knife and slice right down the leg bone all the way to the ball joint. And hmm. he's like, I've never seen any meat lost when that's open. I don't care how hot it is. Yeah. Every elk I shoot in September now... I just, if I don't bone it out, I fillet that right down there, open prop it, it open, put a stick in there, you know, six inches or so and lay that open. And within 15 minutes, that bone is cold to touch. Yeah. I've had elk that have been hanging for three hours that I open up and it's almost still too hot to even touch that bone. It, it just yeah. retains that heat in there. So yeah. the, the smaller the pieces are, the easier it is for that heat to dissipate. Yep. So if you have to bone it out and hang it on sticks to let it cool, it'll cool in 10 minutes. Right. And then you can feel it and be like, okay, I can throw this in a game bag and the heat's gone from it. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Well, you know, those of us who did take, you know, heat transfer and all these other <laughs> physics classes, right? The, the rate of heat transfer is a function to the mass of the object and the amount of surface area. Yep. So. And the differential of temperature. Yeah. So if it's colder out, it's going to transfer the heat faster. If it's as hot outside as the inside of that elk, it's not going to transfer it's not moving. very fast. Yep. So you better have a lot of surface area exposed yep. to make up for that, yep. which is why smaller pieces will cool quicker yeah. because the mass relative to the overall exposed surface is way less. Yeah. So I'm not to... Well, if you want to simplify it, take an orange... Mm -hmm. And when the peel is on the orange, you look at it, how much surface area is there? You yeah. can measure that. Well, when you take that orange and peel it and then split it into each of those little wedges, right. that surface area is just the backside of that wedge initially. Now you've basically tripled or quadrupled it because you've got each of those wedges opened up that are now facing the, 
the outside That's air and exposed. Why, why didn't I ever think of using that? You, know, you graduated the, in accounting. I know you started in engineering, but... Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I'm, you, you're like Bill Nye, the science guy, <laughs> when it comes to this stuff, Corey. Yeah, I've never been called. I've been, you know, told a lot of things, but I've never been no, called Bill, anything let smart. Let me get you a bow tie yeah. and everything. Yeah. Bill yeah. Nye. Corey Nye, the, the, elk, the elk guy. The elk science guy. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, uh, but no, it, it is a it's a it's a huge issue. You have to know what you're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, it's not it's not impossible. Yeah, you just have to have a plan and right and stick to it. Yeah, and and the plan needs to be something you've thought about. Yeah, before you went out there, and you know it's going to work. Don't just take a bare quarter and throw it in a creek and say, yeah. "Oh, it's cooling off." It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's cooling off all right, and the bacteria is growing right there yeah. on it. And, <laughs> If you want to know what causes meat to go bad, it's that bacteria that's growing on her. Another thing I caution those guys is if you do, well, first of all, if you can do it, do the gutless method because your risk of puncturing a bacteria infested area is way less when you do the, the gutless method. If you do have a hit that's gonna, open up some stomach or some gut don't don't let that touch the meat <laughs> yeah that is bacteria yep and if you have a piece of meat and you're like oh i don't want to waste any i get that yep but grabbing something that has been exposed to that bacteria in super warm weather and then putting it in a game bag with all this all these back straps or a great you know, hind quarter. We can go right back to the pee in the pool yeah. analogy. <laughs> it's going to spread. It's going to spread. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this the podcast. Pee in the pool. <laughs> pee in a pool. <laughs> But that, that's the other thing in warm weather. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want to do it even in cold weather yeah. probably, but it the, the negative consequences in warm weather are going to be way more amplified. Yep. And... That's one bacteria of the, spreads with heat and moisture. I yeah. mean, that's those are the two things you need to avoid. Yeah, and that stomach, that gut, that intestine is a you've, bacteria. You've got a starter factor. plant there that's ready <laughs> yeah. for some fertilization. <laughs> and if you don't think there's a lot of bacteria in there, look at why it bloats up <laughs> really quickly and gets really warm. That's the action of bacteria, bacteria and everything growth. else yeah. in there. So. It's, it was good that they, they got a hold of me a couple of days before and they said, you know, here's a list of questions we have for you. And wow. it, it caused me to kind of think this through. Uh, actually, you're going to think through invitations to coffee next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Are we really just going to coffee or are you? Uh, What's this yeah. list of questions? Well, they had emailed us on the Elk Talk podcast and I recognized uh, the name. Wow. I emailed them. I'm like, hey, Nick. You live in Bozeman. Just stop by my office. Wow. And he did. And so I, super nice guys. And it's fun to help people who are as, using them as an example. They When we met, they had a list of questions, like three pages of questions. And the amount of research they have already done. Yeah. This wasn't the, hey, can you tell me where to kill an owl? Yeah. This was. What's your number one piece of advice? Yeah. It was none of that. So it's really fun to help guys who are that gung-ho. They're dedicated. They have already, their maps they showed me. They're they're not the 10% hunters. I mean, they're not the 10% success rate hunters. That's just, 
the people who put in that time, and I always said it when we were doing seminars, the people who come to seminars, mm-hmm. the, the odds don't apply to them. The yeah. averages don't apply to them because they're putting in the time in the off season. They're sponges that want to learn. Yeah. They're thinking through this stuff and they want to truly absorb information. They're the ones that are keeping it up above 10%. Yeah. You know, it's the people who go out and pull their bow out of the closet on August 29th and like, <laughs> yep, still on. I hit the pie plate at 10 yards and nothing's changed. And those are the guys that are bringing it down to 10%. And, and that's great. You know, yeah. that's, they're getting their experience out of it. And, mm-hmm. And we get the, you know, the fishing game looks at it and says, well, 10% success. This is how many elk we can let right. Randy and Corey try to kill this year. And- <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to try and figure out what I'm doing with Montana for elk. I uh, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I know um, a place you could go. Yeah? Yeah. Place, four feet of snow and there's some mountain, mountain goats, goats there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, there are some wolves up there. Though. Oh, they I, were howling right outside of our camp a couple nights. Yeah. yeah, there's a pack that's in there and I've come so close to shooting them at a yeah. time or two, but as you saw, there's quite a bit of timber in some of those places and they just... It's fairly for, steep. I bet they can run up the hills a little steeper than we can. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they cover a lot of ground way quicker than we do, but it's like they just know. Yep howl hey they, okay i'm gonna howl and make some noise here but he's not gonna find me oh. so it's almost like they do it to tease you <laughs> let's run down there and howl at him again watch him freak out he's gonna come running up the hill his face is gonna be red he's gonna be puffing out of breath and we're just gonna sit up here and laugh at him yeah. hey pete watch this <laughs> here they come just drop over the back of the hill they'll never make it up here <laughs> that's why trapping is so intriguing to me because mm-hmm. i let i let them find the traps yeah <laughs> you know? i don't have yeah. to go find the wolves i just have to put a trap out and let it work 24 7 well that's the beauty of traps yeah. they're they're working on it kind of like a game camera it's yep. there all the time and it's just as exciting every time you walk up to that trap yeah. you're anticipating something being in it yeah it's it is like christmas plus yep it's like a trail camera and a trap yeah Whew. and the Man. if you park and then you're walking you know a few hundred yards into your set and you see fresh tracks mm-hmm. and this now your heart is just like oh I, i'm sure i got them I'm i'll sure never forget them. the sound of the chain rattling on that first wolf yeah like walking over the ridge and before i even saw it i could hear the chain rattling uh-huh. down there and you're like, I'm like there's something big in that track <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, we're we're lucky to live where we do and get to do as much of it as we do. Uh, yep. I I don't make any apologies for that. I mean, I for speaking personally, the pay cuts my wife and I, was I just took say. To, to move to Montana. Well, you know, a, a legislator one time was like, "I can't believe you get this worked up over a twenty dollar elk tag." I'm like, "Wait a second. <laughs> Back back in 1991, my wife and I combined were making less than fifty thousand, but we took about a twelve or thirteen thousand dollar pay cut back then. So you know it was probably at that time I'm guessing a combined thirty percent pay cut. That's how much my resident elk tag is worth to me. Yep. That's why I get so worked up, Mister Legislator. That's right, and. Uh, I know sometimes you get people say, oh, you guys are so spoiled. And we yeah, are. We are. we are. But there are sacrifices yeah. that, that were made to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, hunting is a, 
I, I didn't move to where I live for hunting. Mm-hmm. I moved there for my family. Yeah. But hunting was one of the things that I felt would be good opportunities. And that's just, I, I think I mentioned, I made a little video for Jesse when she graduated mm-hmm. and went through pictures from the time she was a month old until the day she graduated, basically. And some of those experiences we had, I mean, it was fishing for five inch brook trout out of a little pond. It yeah. was all these things, but that's the experiences that I moved toward. I made the sacrifices that I did to have those experiences yeah. and those memories wouldn't trade them for anything yeah. and you can't replace them. You can't buy them. It, I mean, they're, they're a blessing, but they come at a, at a cost. Yeah. No. And it just, I think anyone listening who has made those kind of commitments to it. Yep. Uh, today some guy, uh, the discussion came up about wanting to go elk hunting or being an elk hunter. He, he, he said, you know, I, I really want to do more elk hunting. And I asked him, I said, well, do you want to be an elk hunter? <laughs> and he looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, well. Do you want to go elk hunting? Yeah. There's some people who say, oh, I just want to go elk hunting. And there's some people who say, my life path, I want to be an elk hunter. Yep. That person who says, this is what I want to be, they're going to work at that craft Every day doing they're something. They're going to show up with three pages of questions. Yeah. Or they're going to be working out. They're going to be watching their diet. They're going to be exercising. They're going to be e-scouting. They're going to be researching. They're going to... Shooting their bow. Yeah. That is the person who is an elk hunter. The guy who says, well, someday I'd like to shoot an elk. Well, he wants to go elk hunting. Yeah. And I know one requires the other, but they're not the same. Nope. And, and there's nothing, again, it's not one is more rewarding or better for some people. They just want to go and experience mm-hmm. it. And if they shoot one, that's bonus. But yeah. that's not, some of us, we lose yeah. sleep at night thinking about that tag that's still sitting in our pocket <laughs> with three days left in the season. It's like, all right, this is serious. I've got yeah. to figure this out because right now I'm losing. Yeah. And I, I, I that's why I think elk hunting is so appealing and so attracting is it's not as rare as a sheep tag yeah. or a goat or moose tag or something. So it is attainable. And it just can, you, it can grab you and immerse you to a degree that every day, even in the cold of winter or the heat of summer, you can be doing something to hone your craft, <laughs> to improve your you know your progression down that path as an elk hunter it's a lifetime thing you just it's like you raised your hand and said this is what i'm gonna do the rest of my life yep uh, i guarantee if somebody came up to my wife and said how would you describe your husband she would say he's an elk hunter yeah you know <laughs> he's a mediocre dad he's a below average husband he, you know he's he's fair at manual labor but if you want to describe him in two words, he's an elk hunter. Yeah. yeah. What's on his mind every day? Yeah, his family makes it on there most days. And, you know, his this and this. But he thinks about elk hunting every day. Yeah. And he's doing something towards it. He's excited about it. Yeah. Yep. And those are those people who make that lifetime investment in their out knowledge or you know all the things that 
are part of what we just described. Those are the ones that are usually in that 10% category of filled their elk tag that yeah. year. And there's, you know, there's a lot always of guys who have fun and they're like, yeah, just say like just going and hanging out and doing it. And, and yeah. that's great. You know? And I know several people that have quit elk hunting. I can't even fathom quitting elk hunting. No, I, I'm, I'm pushing up on 50 years old before too much longer. And I'm yeah. thinking, I've probably got only 35 years left of elk hunting. <laughs> and there's some people like, well, I'm going to be 60 next year. So I guess my elk hunting's are. I'm like, I'm just getting started. Like, I'm literally just yeah. in the phase where I'm enjoying it because I feel like I'm... Not that I understand it or that I know it better, but I think that I know myself better mm -hmm. and I've grown enough to be able to recognize what's important in it. Yeah. What, what success is, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's the difference between where I was 20 years ago and where I am now is, yeah, it's about killing elk, mm -hmm. but there's more layers to it. Yeah. And those layers are the memories. Yeah. You know, those layers are the things I remember. Brinker and I, I did a podcast on David Brinker's uh, Altitude podcast today, and we were just talking about that. And I said, you know, I, I walked out in my shed the other day, and I have every set of elk antlers I've ever killed, really? with one exception. The first elk I ever shot, I threw them away, the antlers. You know, after yeah. a couple of years, just I didn't think ahead, and I've got every other set since then. Hmm. And they are filling the rafters, and I got thinking the other day, this is a nightmare for my kids. They're going to look at that and be like, we've got to find somebody to buy these. Cause they aren't going to keep right. all of those antlers that yeah. they might each take one set and say, this is dad's, you know, the yeah. bull that he got excited telling this story. I remember mm -hmm. he went to Alaska and shot this bull. I want that set of antlers, yeah. you know, in my house, but the other sets, they're just going to get thrown away or sold. And so <laughs> does it matter how big of an elk I shoot? Does mm -hmm. it matter you know, any of that, it doesn't. Yeah. What matters is how excited I got on that hunt and the, the excitement I was able to share with my kids or who I got to share that experience with. And, yeah. you know, you'd asked me that 20 years ago, I'd have been like, I'd give anything to shoot a 400-inch bull. Yeah. Now, no, it's not important. Yeah. It's not. I mean, <laughs> but I know guys who have, and I'm I'm envious that they've, they've shot those big elk. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same envy where I'm like, oh, if I got to hunt private land or if I, get, if I drew that tag, I'd be able to shoot a bull like that. Yeah. I can appreciate what they shot and I don't have to compare it to what I shot. Right. And no, that's, that's something I think that uh, I didn't have even 10, 15 years ago. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And I think hunting with my kids, having them old enough to hunt with them really helped establish that. Yeah. That it's not a competition with anything. It's not... Nobody's going to remember who killed 400-inch bulls. Nobody's going to care about how many antlers you have in your rafters. Yeah. What your kids are going to care about is, Dad took us hunting that day. Right. Well, I hope people listen to that part and, and think about it because I, at this point, for sure, for me, and so many people have said this to me over the last few years, is you just seem like you get as much, if not more, fun out of someone else shooting an elk than yourself. <laughs> and if I had to be honest about it, as much as I enjoy filling my own tag, I'd say that's probably a correct observation. Especially if it's the right person yeah. that, that enjoys it. Even if it's a new hunter, even if mm -hmm. it's somebody that's killed a hundred elk, I don't care if they have that 
that passion for it. Yeah. It's fun to be a part of that. And it doesn't matter who pulls the trigger. Yeah. Who packs the antlers out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wish I had uh, all the elk antlers from every bull I'd shot being a tightwad accountant. The first five bulls I shot were all raghorns, one little five point. And I went, there was a place in Bozeman, Pacific Hide and Recycle, <laughs> used to be able to go sell antlers there. Yep. And I think I got enough for like four pairs of work gloves or so. I can't even remember what I got yep. for them. But I'm like, I don't need to be dragging these things all along. And now I, I really wish I wouldn't have, even though they're they're like, Two and a half year old bulls, but I did. And that's, yeah, so, I mean, it's I fun to go out and I can point to each one and I can tell mm -hmm. you the full story right where that bull, yeah. I could walk back to the blade of grass that bull was standing next to for every one of them. Yeah. But they're just antlers. Yeah. You know, it's it's the memory and it's that, I think the what makes the memory so memorable is the way you felt when that happened. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the size of antlers for me. And for some people it is. And that's, mm -hmm. again, I, it's not saying one's better than the other. But for me, I just, I love the feel I get, especially when I call in an elk. Yeah. You know, and that, it might be a little five point, but when he comes in, screams in my face, mm -hmm. we just had a match that I don't care if he was 400 inches or a spike. <laughs> that was exciting. And that's uh, what I remember as I'm packing that quarterback to the truck is, <laughs> That little bugger came in and rolled his eyes back and screamed at me. And did you see what he did right there at 15 yards? And yeah, it doesn't matter how big he was. Well, you're going to get a kick out of an episode. I should send you a draft. We're just wrapping it up. It's General Elk in Wyoming last year. Me, Bo Beatty, <laughs> and my buddy Mike Spitzer. So the three of us go in, and Marcus and Jace are the camera guys. And Bo was like, well, we'll take five or six llamas <laughs> each. Well, yeah, that after, after he's all done, he's like, well, I don't want to leave him behind. I don't want to leave him behind. I we had so many llamas. We had 11 llamas. <laughs> and it was a nine-hour hike in there. So I was really glad to have these llamas. Yeah. But anyhow, we go in and we scout for two days. And we're... The two days of scouting was really, really helpful. I mean, we, we, we covered a lot of ground, glass a lot of ground. I was like, boy, this was worthwhile. Opening morning, I was the, we split up. Jace and I went one way. Marcus went with Bo and Mike. And, well, we were all together, and we heard this bull bugling, and they went after it. And they're like, man, that, someone's got to kill that thing. He's big. And, and we, it was still dark, but he's just... And so they go out there, and about 11.30 in the morning, I get an inreach. Well, we hear a shot, Jason and I, and we're like, huh. And then we get an inreach, bowl down. <laughs> I'm like, man, they got him. Holy smoke. So I inreach him. I'm like, I'll go back to camp, and I'll water the llamas, and I'll you know do whatever. I'll, we'll meet you guys back there. And they come back to camp. Or Bo does. Mike and, and Marcus kept hunting. Bo comes back to camp. And he's like, he had a nickname. I can't remember what nickname he gave this bull, but like tough punk or I, I can't remember. <laughs> Anyhow, the, the idea is to this bull, and, and in the footage, in the audio, Marcus is, you can hear him back there just, just tearing it up. And he walks out and he's a little 
Raghorn. <laughs> and Bo had told Mike, you shoot him when he comes out. You, you shoot him, I'll, I'll wait. And he comes out, and Mike looks at the camera like, is that him? <laughs> and Marcus said that, I said, I don't know. And he bugled out in the open. And Marcus was like, yeah, that's, that's him. him. And Mike's like, oh, man, I... I don't know if I'm going to shoot him. And Bo stands up. He's like, I need elk meat. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the point of it was is everybody, all of us in the dark sitting there listening to that bull, I thought he was bigger than any bull we'd seen by scouting, yeah. the way he was just. And he was really getting with it and deep. And, and then he turns out to be a two-and-a-half-year-old. And – Really? What would have been the difference if he'd have been a 400-inch right. bull or a two-and-a-half-year-old bull? Yeah. You were just as excited as he's walking out. When yeah. you see his antlers, there's a different reaction. Yeah. But every other aspect of that hunt is exactly the same. Yeah. No, Bo so, was so excited. Yep. When Bo came back to camp, he's like, I got him. I got him. A little toughy something. <laughs> he had a name for him already made up by the time he got back to camp. It was, so I've, <laughs> I've uh, come to camp and seen... Uh, a big toughy bull that Bo shot one year. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he's, he deserves yeah. both of them. But the, the point of that was, uh, one, you never know yeah. just by the sound of them what it is. That was so, I mean, I think as a general rule most times, yeah, it sounds like a mature bull. Yeah. But don't discount the, you know, maybe the pip squeak or don't put all your chips on the growly one because could be one way or the oh, other. I've the got opposite. A, I just uh, hung out with a friend over Memorial Day weekend, an old college roommate, and he showed me video of a bull that he called in for his dad last year. Mm. And the bugle on that thing was, it sounded like a spike. Mm. I mean, literally you would have thought that's the first year this bull has ever bugled. Mm-hmm. And it was a 380-inch public land, (laughs) over-the-counter bull in one of the most heavily hunted, predated wolf areas. (laughs) I mean, you just look at it, it's like, I can't even believe that animal lived there. And his bugle was just a puny little... So, I mean, you don't don't know. Yeah. You know, and then for his dad, he would have probably shot a puny little bull that bugled like that and been just tickled with it. Yeah. And, you know, like you say, you're expecting a big one, little one steps out, you shoot it and you're happy. You're expecting a little one, a big one shoots out or comes out, you shoot it and, you know, you're a little more happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if we had the cameras running on our hike and I wish we would have. I didn't see it in the footage, but it would have been so prophetic because we'd stopped and took a break at one time and both said, when I left the house, Kirsten told me, don't come back without an elk. So if you guys pass any, I'm shooting them. It's like two days, three days later, that's exactly what happened. And Bo was so excited. I've been looking at the footage of the hunt. It's so much fun. (laughs) It it, kind of reminded, because I was the last to kill an elk on that hunt. Mike and, and Bo both killed opening day and I was just so excited, and I, if I wouldn't have shot a bull, I would wouldn't have mattered yep. a bit. But I lucked out, and you know, another one decided that he just had to be on on video. So yep, yeah. and he came in silent. Bo, there's one up on the ridge bugling, responding to Bo, and this guy 
I can hear walking and I'm like, this is getting really close. And I heard some rocks roll. I'm like, is there a bull coming in here? <laughs> and all of a sudden I look and he's standing in an opening, just looking at Bo, 110 yards. Well, with a center fire rifle. There you go. If you can't shoot a bull elk at 110 yards with a center fire rifle, it's time to go home. <laughs> it's, but again, it, there's just all these little things you go through every hunt, whether it's success like that one or failure or, you know, whatever you want to call it, not filling a tag. The lessons, that that encounter right there reminded me just because you don't hear him bugling on his way in, don't assume he's not around. Yeah. And uh it's just that was a fun one. I'm I'm excited to to get that one edited and yeah. out on our Fresh Tracks Plus platform. Well hopefully I have some other good hunts this this fall. Yep. And fingers crossed. <laughs> and uh who knows, but any other comments, questions yeah. they, they gave us that we're missing? I know we we I'm looking at this pages and pages of email comments here. <laughs> I've got my laptop up and um, it says I've got 124 unread Ooh. messages in the Elk Talk podcast folder here. Man. I need to read all of them. I was going to say, I read them as they come in because I know if I put them in a folder that yeah. they'll slip by. So Yeah. Well, I was out at a shooting academy I was going to say, you've been, uh, you were in Alaska and then out there. and Yeah. But... Hey, y'all, folks, really appreciate everybody yeah. doing that. And we're here at TAC, Total Archery Challenge. Yeah. And it's a big deal for RMEF. They're having a big celebration tomorrow. They're having the World Elk Calling Championship. So maybe we should have recorded this tomorrow night. After? After. Maybe I, I, may gonna, not, I may not have been in the mood to record a podcast oh, tomorrow okay. night. okay. <laughs> wow. I, I thought you were going to win. Well, you know what? There was a, t and it goes right back to what we just talked about, you know, 20 years ago, that's all that mattered. Mm -hmm. And last year was one of the years that there were so many good callers and mm -hmm. so many good people just yeah. beyond being good elk callers. They're just fun people that I'm as competitive as anybody, Yeah, but there's some yeah. people I'm okay. If I lose to that person, yeah. you know, and now there's just so many people like that, that, you know. Bo Brooks won last year yeah. and he's been coming for the last, I think seven or eight years wanting to win. And I told him the first year you'll win. Yeah. You, you're a, you're a phenomenal caller. You'll win. So to see him win and to put in the time and the improvement he's made over the last several years, uh -huh. I, I, I truly can say for the first time I was excited to see him win as I would have been if I would have won. Yeah. You know, just because he's a good person. And so, we're to a point where, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I'm still competitive, and that's yeah. a, a good outlet for it. But just about anybody that's in it, if they win, yeah, I'm going to be pretty, pretty happy for them. Yeah. Which it's there's a there's been a maturing take place because it wasn't too long ago that I would, you know, I'd, I wasn't as happy about other people winning. <laughs> and I th again, I think it comes from my kids because. I see them and it's, I want them to win. Yeah. And if I had to compete against them, I would step down to let them succeed. Yeah. And so there's, you know, I, I think I've learned that through being a, a parent and it's, it's maybe transitioned beyond just my children that I'm, yeah. 
I can be happy for other people when they're successful, even if that means I might not be able to be as successful yeah. in that. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's a great, great place to be in mentally. And just yeah. there's still some comfort. people that I would like to be, <laughs> but there's more people that I'd be happy to see win than what I would like to be, which yeah. hasn't always been the case. Well, so. Yeah. I, the other thing tomorrow night is we got to raise a lot of money for the Elk Foundation. I got to MC the big whoop-de-doo tomorrow night. Uh, what all is that? Is that the, the auction? The yeah, auction, dinner. a bunch of raffles, dinner, some music. The, the normal run of a of a big RMEF event. See, and I just mm-hmm. haven't seen the advertising this year on it like in yeah. the past. Is there music? Like, yeah, they've they've got a band or uh, two guys coming uh, playing music. Uh, they have uh, Tommy, an auctioneer, who is a, a combat vet who really went through it. I mean, I met him today. He's in, you know lost both of his legs and most of one hand in a IED, and he's going to be the auctioneer. Really? Yeah, and he's That's he's so really cool. excited to be the auctioneer. So I'm excited for him. And uh, on the script, there's a whole bunch of Randy and Tommy ad libs. So I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that's going to mean. They uh, should know you better than that by now. Yeah. You do not leave Randy without a script. Yeah. So I mean, look raise, at our podcast. <laughs> yeah. If we can raise a bunch of money for him, then that'd be great. Yeah. Because they're going to use it for for a great cause. So uh, yeah, it's fun fun being here this weekend, yeah. even if it does snow tonight. Yeah. We don't have to go out in it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I guess that's what they call a wrap, eh, right. Corey? I think that's good. Uh, how many more of uh, the uh, Reaching Your Peak episodes Man, you we're got going, coming? We're running that through uh, elk season, so okay. all summer long. Yeah. People are really yeah. dialing into that. that a lot you know, of comments. I, I'm almost thinking we might need to, you and I, jump on a podcast and have me tell a story so that you can pull more out of it, because you just... You have a way of pulling Uh-oh. details and color hmm. out of it. Where if I'm, when I'm just sitting there telling a story, I just, I almost bore myself. So uh, that audience doesn't seem well, very bored, Corey. I know, but there's just a, an element that you bring to a, <laughs> to a storytelling. That uh, we might have to try one and see right. how it works. We'll, we'll try one yeah. and uh, see how it goes. Yeah. And then the audience will be like, Get that square-headed Finlander out of there. Let Corey tell his story without him. Randy providing color commentary. He's like a bad football color commentary guy. You know, I wasn't going to say the name of one who's a bad color commentary. Uh, but a I few. I'd get in trouble for saying that. I'd, really? Yeah, their their PR firm or attorney would get a hold of me for picking on him or something. Man, I would think that a person's entitled to an opinion. Well, yeah, I'd have to... <laughs> have to qualify it by saying in my opinion yeah, there you go but uh anyhow folks thanks for being here until the next time uh i hope you're all doing well and hope summer's going good for you and it won't be long Corey. Whew. it's gonna be just over season. two months yeah yeah it's coming fast i gotta get this healed up here i'm <laughs> you told me you've been shooting good so i have been actually yeah. i'm i'm surprised how much easier archery was with all this messed up stuff than rifle. Yeah. I would have thought it would be the other way around, but the the results of my groups say that archery is easier to do with this injury than a rifle. Yep. So, 
Anyhow, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, guys.